Well, I want to welcome all of you joining us from our campus in Airdrie, our campus in Bearspa, and our campus at Bridgeland as well, um, and also from our South Campus that meets at Cardell Place, and our South Campus just recently added a Sunday morning service, and so if you live in the south of Calgary, consider joining them at Cardell Place. Certainly all of you joining us online, welcome this morning. We're taking a break this family day-long weekend from our series in Revelation, and uh, just a one-week break, so make sure you join us next weekend again and continue along in that series so you don't miss anything. Um, but I hope that this weekend you have some time that you can spend with your immediate family, your extended family, your spiritual family, and just take advantage of the opportunity, right, to connect with people that you love and you care about. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And... Um, Pull out your device and pull that passage up or turn in your, your paper Bible that you bought here because we're going to be spending quite a bit of time reading this text and I want to make sure that you're able to track along with that. And sometimes it's easier with what you have in your hand than on the screen. So Second Chronicles chapter 20, right after Kings. And here is the question that I have for you. What do you do when you have no idea what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Some of you might be graduating from high school um, at the end of June, and I just felt the stress rise in you, right? <laughs> and uh, you don't know what to do. Some of you are graduating from university in a, end of April, and you don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You might be dating someone these days and you're not sure if this is the person that God has in mind for you to marry. What do you do? Your spouse perhaps has left you. What do you do? Your marriage, if you're honest, is in crisis and you don't know what to do. Your parents' health might be declining. You don't know what to do. Your spouse may suffer from chronic pain or someone you love suffers from chronic pain. Um, or an illness that the doctors haven't been able to figure out what exactly is going on, what do you do when you don't know what to do? There might be division in your family. Family members haven't spoken in years. You have no idea the next steps to take. What do you do when you don't know what to do? In Second Chronicles 20, King Jehoshaphat has a massive army comprised of three different nations. And they're coming to attack him in Jerusalem. And in verse 12 we read, he says, We do not know what to do. We don't know what to do. Now none of us in this room knows what it feels like to have a vast army approaching you right on your doorstep, ready to annihilate you, but we can all relate. Every single person in this room, I believe, can relate to the feeling, the overwhelming feeling of circumstances in life that make us feel trapped, anxious, terrified, helpless, confused, and we have no idea what to do. The good news is, in God's Word, in 2 Chronicles 20, we're told what to do when we don't know what to do. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you've got that, verse 1. Here's what it says. After this, the Moabites 
Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. King Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And this massive army is approaching Jerusalem where he lives. This army is right now, we read, at En Gedi. En Gedi is 40 kilometers from Jerusalem, 40 kilometers. And we read in verse 3 that Jehoshaphat is alarmed. Some of your translations might say he's terrified. Some translations say he's afraid, and rightly so. A massive army comprised of three different nations 40 kilometers away. You would be afraid. But instead of fear paralyzing the king, the king's next steps, instead of paralyzing him into uncertainty, Instead of fear making him just call on his allied nations that he had, um, calling them and saying, I need help right now. Come help me fight this army. Instead of fear moving him, perhaps to surrender, perhaps to retreat. Instead of fear moving him to take matters into his own hands, calling his generals together, calling up all of his reserve soldiers and strategizing a surprise attack. Instead of fear directing his next steps, King Jehoshaphat did something counterintuitive. So counterintuitive. He takes steps of faith rather than steps motivated by fear. And faith, steps of faith. And he resolves to inquire of the Lord. He stops. He pauses everything. He says, we're going to wait right now. In fact, we're going to call a fast for all of Judah, and we're going to stop and pause and wait. What an incredible step of faith, not motivated by fear. And he didn't have in mind that just he alone would stop, pause, and wait, and fast, and pray. He called the whole nation together in verse 4. All the people from Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. When you don't know what to do, do not let fear determine your next steps. Let faith, faith in God, determine your next steps. Verse 5, then the whole nation of Judah is gathered together, right, in Jerusalem. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard. And he said, he praised this prayer in front of everybody to God, recounting God's faithfulness, what God has done. Just listen to this prayer. The king says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people 
Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. King Jehoshaphat recounts what God has done in the past, God's promises, this territory that God had set aside for the kingdom of Judah. And he says, God, your reputation even is at risk here because we've built a place for your name and your presence to dwell in the temple. And he continues on in verse 10, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? And then the king, the king says this, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat, I mean, he is the top guy. He has all authority in the kingdom. He's the one that's supposed to have all the answers, all the wisdom, have all the resources, the one who has power, the one who's responsible to protect the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And the approach he takes here again is so counterintuitive than any leader or king would take. In essence, he acknowledges his weakness. He acknowledges his lack of self-sufficiency. He humbles himself and admits his great need before God and before all the people. He says, we don't have power to face this vast army. You can read between the lines, he's saying, we don't have a strategy. We don't have enough horses. We don't have enough chariots. We don't have enough soldiers. We don't have enough spears and arrows and shields. We don't have power to face this vast army. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. What an incredible step of faith in God. See, when you don't know what to do, your vision, your eyes, your vision can only rest in two places. Your vision can rest on you. Your eyes can rest on you and what you have to do to face the overwhelming circumstances in life. Your eyes can rest on you and you might be able to say, you know what? I've encountered this situation before or something like it and I did this three years ago. This is the approach we're going to take right now and carry that out. You could call your friends. You could call your counselors or friends together and get advice from them. You could borrow money. You could find a different sort of strategy. You could get a second or third opinion. You could convince yourself and say, I can handle this plan. I can face this by myself. I've done this in the past. I can figure out this problem. I can try harder. I can work harder. And in that approach, your eyes are all on you. All on you and what you can do. When you don't know what to do, your vision can only rest in one of two places, on you or on God. 
And for your vision to rest on God, for your eyes to be focused on God, the Lord takes a tremendous amount of faith and humility. Because when you say your eyes, our eyes are on you, what you're saying is you're not sufficient enough, you're not strong enough, you're not powerful enough, you're not wise enough, you don't have enough resources, you are helpless to face what it is that's in front of you. And this act of faith confesses a number of things. It confesses and acknowledges that you are not able. But when your eyes on God, Ephesians 3 verse 20 says that God is able to do far more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And He does everything by His power that is working in us. When you come to the place of faith and say, my eyes are on you, God, you confess as well that you have no power. But as Jehoshaphat prays in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, you, God, rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. When you take the step of faith, you acknowledge and confess that this battle, this circumstance in front of you seems absolutely impossible. But we're reminded in Matthew 19, verse 26, with God, all things are what? Possible. All things are possible. When you don't know what to do, your vision can only rest in one of two places. Where does your vision rest today? With the situation that you are facing. This battle seems overwhelming to you. When you don't know what to do, surrender your self-sufficiency. Put your faith in God and say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. How many of you today need to take your vision, your eyes off of yourself and your solutions and your resources and your strategy and your strength and add whatever it is, but it's you, and shift it and say, God, I don't know what to do. I know you're with me. My eyes are on you now. And you stop and you pause and you pray and you wait you wait on the Lord. When King Jehoshaphat had finished praying, what we see here is an, an incredible picture in verse 13. All the men of Judah and their wives and their children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Picture that. This multitude of people standing in the courtyard of this magnificent temple where God's very presence dwelled and they stood there before the Lord, just waiting, waiting. We don't know how long they stood there. I don't know why the passage doesn't tell us that. Did they stand there and wait for hours or a day or a week? I don't know. They were fasting and standing there. And I wonder if we're not told that because we might think, well, if they stood for two hours and waited and God spoke, God, why are you not speaking in two hours? <laughs> you know, when I've been crying out to you for help. But they model for us just standing and waiting on the Lord. When was the last time you stood or sat before the Lord waiting on him? Just waiting. Not motivated by fear. Not having your eyes fixed on you and what you can do. But pausing, stopping, waiting on the Lord, calling out to Him for help, seeking Him for help, acknowledging what He's done in the past, having faith in what He's done in the past, holding on to His promises, to what is true, and waiting on God. When your eyes are on the Lord, when your eyes are on the Lord, you are ready to listen. 
to him. When your eyes are on the Lord, you're ready to learn from him. When your eyes are on the Lord, your trust and dependence is completely on him. When your eyes are on the Lord, you're expectant, expectant of what he will say. You're filled with expectation, saying, Lord, I'm waiting, speak. And he will speak. He will speak. He will. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Our source of knowledge and revelation comes from God. Isaiah 58 verse 9, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, God will say, here am I. Psalm 120 verse 1, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. As the women and men and children and little ones are all standing there waiting before the Lord, waiting for him to speak, we come to verse 14. What an incredible verse. Verse 14, then the Spirit of the Lord came. How amazing is that? The Spirit of the Lord came. The Spirit of the Lord here in this text is the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that dwells in you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. When we place our lives, our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, His Spirit comes and dwells within us and lives within us. We are the temple today. The same Spirit is in you that came in this day directly from God and spoke. In your crisis, in your situation, with you feeling overwhelmed, whatever it is you're facing, the Spirit of the Lord will come. It's just a matter of time. Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Matani, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He was an ordinary person standing among the people there, and the Spirit of the Lord came on him and said, Speak this to everyone. Verse 15, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm. And see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I believe. I believe, I believe that there's some of you in the room here that need to be reminded Do not be afraid. 
Do not be discouraged. What you are facing is a battle that you don't have to fight. The Lord will fight it for you. Now, you may have to do some things. The Lord may give you certain instructions and things you have to do, but ultimately, this battle will not be won by you, but will be won by the Lord. Because He is fighting for you. He's fighting with you. You see, every battle that you face, that I face, that we face in life, every overwhelming circumstance or crisis or problem, the battle is not yours, it's God's. How do we know this? Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your life no longer belongs to you. Scripture says you have been bought with a price. Scripture says you are God's prized possession. You are not your own. Your life is not yours. Your life is not your own. You are a son and daughter of the King. God lives in you by His Spirit. Ultimately, our lives belong to God. They are His. Everything we own is His. We are His possession. So why do we think that we fight alone? We do not fight alone. We are God's. He fights for us. And see how he has already fought for us in this life and won. Look at how he's already fought for us and won. He has already freed us from the power of sin over our lives. He has already delivered us. He has already saved us. He's already redeemed us. He has already made us righteous in his sight. He has already prepared a home for us in heaven for all of eternity. He has already rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of light where his son rule and reigns. He has already made us a new creation. God has already fought in so many ways for us and he is already one. We know the end of the story. And even in this life today, with what we're facing today and this week, he fights for us. He fights for us. We do not have to fight alone. God is with us. He is for us. We will overcome. What do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we do when we don't know what to do? We say, God, our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. And we don't let fear motivate us to take the next steps. Instead, we let our faith in God lead us in the next steps we take. We don't trust in our own power, our own self-sufficiency, our own resources. Instead, we trust in the provision and power of God for us in this life. And we wait and we worship. Waiting and worship is our weapon that we fight with and we wait. We wait on the Lord. We wait on the Lord for him to speak, and he will speak. The Spirit of the Lord will come. He will come and speak into every situation and circumstance that you and I are facing. So how many of you today are facing a situation that leaves you feeling afraid, anxious, terrified, confused, helpless, and you feel like you do not know what to do? As I was preparing this, 
two situations came to my mind. Two situations. And honestly, I'm thinking, Lord, I do not know what to do. But was reminded and saying, my eyes are on you, and I'll wait. How many of you are facing something like this? We want to move into a brief time of prayer. And I want to invite those of you in the room that are feeling a situation that feels like a battle, I want to invite you to stand in this room because we want to pray for you and over you. So I'm standing, so stand with me. If you are facing a situation, circumstance in life that leaves you feeling overwhelmed, helpless, and you're saying, I don't know what to do. And you need to shift your vision from yourself and onto God. Way to go for standing. And we want to pray for you. We want to pray over you. Those of you seated, see those who are standing before you, in front of you, around you, and you don't need to know what's going on in their life, but pray for those in the room who are standing today. Pray that they would not be motivated by a spirit of fear, but would step out in faith. Pray that they would have the perseverance to wait on God until he speaks. Pray that God will speak without delay into the circumstances represented by those who are standing. So all around this room, just pray out loud for the folks who are standing, and then I will end our time of prayer together. So let's pray, church. Pray out loud for those standing all around the room. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your church that's represented in this room. And thank you that we have the opportunity to support one another in prayer and carry each other's burdens. Lord, we ask for the burdens that are represented by those who are standing in this space. We ask that by your Spirit, Lord, you come. You come. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit of the Lord, come. And remind those standing that you are the God that that rules over the kingdoms and the nations of this world. That power and might are in your hand and nothing can withstand your purposes being worked out in their lives. We trust in your power, God, in your might, in your provision at the right time to help them fight whatever it is that they are facing these days. God, we pray, we pray that by your spirit you bring, you work against a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, and that you bring a spirit of confidence 
in their hearts and in their minds, that they would not be afraid, they would not be discouraged. Spirit of the Lord, come. Give them a very real sense of your presence working in these daily situations and circumstances so that they know they are not fighting alone, but you, God, are fighting for them on their behalf and that you will win. Spirit of the Lord, come and speak. Speak even right now into what they're calling out to you for help for. Speak. God, don't delay in speaking from your written word, from the whispers of your Holy Spirit, speaking through friends, but speak, Lord. And we wait in expectation of what you will do. And when you act, we will worship you and praise you for what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. We trust and pray that um, we give applause, right, for God's word and his truth. Um, I pray that Second Chronicles resonates in your heart and your mind. We didn't get to the end of the chapter. Maybe there's a part two sermon one day or read it on your own. It's incredible what God does.